Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. We turn our attention to the Word of God this morning. I ask you a question. Have you ever been overwhelmed by grief? Uh, Perhaps you lost a, a friend or a parent a child or a dear friend. We know that a tragic injury or a debilitating disease can bring about grief. Grief comes from loss, and you may have lost a possession that was very important to you, and perhaps you've been through bankruptcy and you lost your standard of living, and certainly losing a spouse or children through divorce can cause tremendous grief. Here's what I've discovered in now more than 26, 27 years of pastoring, is that grief can take on, for some people, a a dark, never-ending cycle. It's like a tunnel, and the tunnel never ends. And you feel as though you'll never see the sunshine again. And while it seems like others just go merrily on with their lives, having no cares in the world, you wonder if your life will and if it can ever be the same again. Psalm 55 describes David's mourning over the condition of the world at that time. And he said, and, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. Lo, then would I wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. I wonder this morning how many of you could relate to that verse and seasons in your life. All of us have had a season of life like that. Most of us have felt that way at some point when we've experienced that tidal wave of grief in our life. And we've all wished that we could escape the pain that comes from our sorrows and our disappointments and and our tragedies and that we could, as David said, just fly away and be at peace. Our text verse this morning comes from A sermon that the Lord Jesus Christ preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And we are in the second beatitude this morning. It certainly seems like all the beatitudes seem to be uh, paradoxical or or that somehow they contradict common sense. Look with me at our text this morning. Jesus, with his own words, said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And so let's take a moment and ask the Lord uh, at the beginning of this message to Perhaps come into our life and maybe you're going through one of those stages that I just uh, aforementioned um, and maybe you are in that period right now. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. Father, as we enter into your presence, we thank you for the beautiful, just soul-stirring, touching music that we have uh, participated in and giving back to you our worship today. Father, I pray that you will help us in this message. For no doubt there are people that are lonely right now looking for an answer, looking for a partner, looking for something to break that would 
break the cycle of grief and mourning in their life. Father, would you use your word to be a comfort today? And Lord, at the end of this message, may we be able to give you honor and glory for how your Holy Spirit worked and comforted us today. In Jesus' name, amen. How in the world can those who are mourning be blessed? Many years ago, I stood by my father's bedside. And my father was crying uh, tears. And he said, Brent, I'm so sorry that I wasn't a good dad. And I said, Dad, what are you talking about? Uh, my dad was a great dad. But even at the end of his life, as he looked back over his life, there were times that, that he could remember in his waning days on this earth uh, that he had not been the, the dad that he would have wanted to be. And I remember as, as I walked into the living room of our home and I told my mother and two sisters, I believe the time is, is short Having been a pastor and gone through this and been by many hospital beds and many hospice situations, you can tell that death is imminent. And our family gathered around uh, uh, my dad's bedside and there we, we said goodbye. And as my dad slipped into eternity, uh, you may think it weird, we sang a song uh, that my dad loved. And, and uh, I, I want to tell you through tears, it was a beautiful song as we as we. Didn't want anything but the best for my dad, whose body was racked with cancer. And he had only lived six months from the time that he was diagnosed with cancer to that point in time when he slipped into eternity. But I want to tell you that I, I experienced uh, a loss, that my dad was a was like my best guy friend in all the world. We talked every single week. I felt I could tell my dad anything about ministry and anything about life, and I could ask him questions about finances, and I could ask him questions about relational things. And, and I knew my dad would hold that, and he wouldn't tell my mom. And I knew my dad would give me solid advice, and I knew my dad would often say, well, Brent, remember in Psalm, and he would quote a verse. And I was like, Dad, uh, God, why did you take my dad? Love my dad. To this day, 16, 17 years later, I still miss my dad. And how in the world could Jesus say that those who mourn will be blessed? I wanted to remind you that that word blessed means happy or fortunate. But I think that sometimes we have an amusement park mentality. And if we were to take a poll of the American public and we were to ask them to list the keys to happiness, you know what we would say? We would say money, influence, popularity. Those are certainly the keys to being happy and blessed in this life. Um, but if you ask people uh, who have all of those things, sometimes they're the most miserable people in all the world. In contrast to human opinion, Jesus says this, happy are you if you're sad. Now that's an oxymoron. That's a statement of paradox. In fact, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 25, he says, woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Jesus, he came really to come into this world to turn the world's principles upside down. And if you truly want to follow Christ, we must forget the world's ideas and we must cling to His truth, the truth of Jesus Christ this morning. 
As we did a week ago in our first beatitude, we're going to discover this morning the meaning and the result and the attainment and the test of mourning. So let's discover number one here, the meaning of mourning. I think it's important we use that word. What in the world does it mean? What is the meaning of mourning? The Bible does teach us there are different types of grief. Some of them are legitimate. Some of them are normal, but others are illegitimate, and some types of griefs are simply self-centered. There's an improper mourning that the Bible teaches us about. Sometimes people are sad, mourning, grief-stricken, depressed, because they're unable to fulfill their own lust, lustful and selfish plans. And such grief, it is self-centered, and God offers no comfort to such people. In fact, let me give you a couple examples from Scripture. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, we see David's son, Amnon, was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. Oh, that's a sick kind of grief and sadness there. Similarly, uh, Naboth refused to give his family vineyard to King Ahab. And Ahab, he became heavy or sullen and displeased. And the Bible says, he went to his bed and he pouted. He laid down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread because they would not give him a piece of land. Sometimes people carry legitimate sorrow to the extreme and they cannot even function normally and usually this is because of guilt or a lack of faith in God do you remember the story when David's son Absalom was killed King David said oh my son Absalom my son my son Absalom would God I had died for thee oh Absalom my son my son over the top grief But it was identified as improper grief because the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. David made all the people uh, to mourn over the death of his son. But Joab, he came to David and he rebuked David and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then it had pleased thee well. You see, Absalom was was a terrible son because David was a terrible father to his son. But I want to share with you that there's proper mourning. There, as we're identifying the meaning of mourning, there's proper mourning. Of course, there are times when grief and mourning are completely appropriate. God has given us the ability to to cry as a pressure valve that helps us vent our emotions and enables us to heal. And when we face sorrow and difficulty, here's what happens. We grow and we learn to trust God even more. There's an old Arab proverb that says this, all sunshine makes a desert. Browning Hamilton wrote these words, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and not a word said she, but oh, the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. In the Bible, there's also examples of proper mourning. 
When Sarah, the wife of Abraham, died, he came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And here this morning, there are men and women who are seated here under the sound of my voice that you have lost your spouse. And to, even to this day, you mourn the loss of that spouse. The Bible says the great Abraham mourned the passing of his wife and he wept. The psalmist cites his loneliness for God's fellowship. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Timothy, he grieved and he was overwrought with discouragement. And Paul wrote to him without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may uh, be filled with joy." Oh, if you've read Jeremiah the prophet, he's often referred to as the weeping prophet. He had anguish over the sins of Israel. And he said these words, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. There was the example of the Apostle Paul about proper mourning. He was so concerned for the spiritual maturity of the Ephesians that he said this in Acts 20. Remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn every one of you day and night with tears. Well, Paul had to leave the Ephesians and they gathered on the beach there to say goodbye to the Apostle Paul. And the Bible gives us a little insight. And the Bible says, and they all wept sore and they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him and they hugged him and they said goodbye as he was leaving. There was a mourning, a sadness as the Apostle Paul was about to leave. Do you remember the sinful woman that came to Simon's house to wash Jesus' feet with the tears of sorrow? She was sad, the Bible says, because of her great sin. And those around Jesus wanted to move this woman away. And Jesus said, her sins which are many, are forgiven. How many of you could say this, this morning, my sins, which are many, have been forgiven. John eleven thirty five even gives us insight to Jesus. You see, his friend Lazarus dies. We often, uh, uh, we often say this. The shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. But we don't understand why Jesus wept. Jesus wept because his great close friend Lazarus had died. And humanly speaking, as God-man, that part of Jesus mourned the loss of his friend. There is improper mourning. There is proper mourning. But this morning, I want you to notice what godly mourning is. What was Jesus talking about here in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, on the Mount? What is godly mourning? Mourning. And though there are many examples of both improper and proper mourning in the Scripture, the Beatitude speaks of neither of those. Though the Lord will confront His people when they mourn properly, here He refers to a godly sorrow, and here is what He's talking about. He's talking about a mourning and a sorrow over sin. Over sin. The Bible says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Do you really understand 
that the only way a person can enter the kingdom of God is what we learned last week in verse number 3, by being poor in spirit, understanding our spiritual poverty, understanding our desperate need for a Savior, by recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy, by repenting of that sinfulness. Of the nine Greek words in the New Testament that are used for the word sorrow, right here, verse number 4, is the strongest and the most severe. So Jesus knew what he was talking about and what he was implying to the disciples. If this word mourning, sorrow, here in our text, means this. It's a deep, inner agony over sin. We're not blessed or happy through the mourning itself, but rather through the forgiveness that it brings. Listen to Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. I want everyone to listen here this morning. We are all sinners. Not a one of us can stand up and say, I have never sinned. We are all sinners. We struggle with our weaknesses. Do you realize that even those who are saved, which would be the vast majority, we still struggle with evil desires. The world wants us to justify our sin, to try to forget it, to try to bury it. However, no one can truly be blessed until he mourns over their sin, confesses that sin, and receives the forgiveness of God. James 4 says this, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall Lift you up. There's a movement toward frivolity in many churches today. You're visiting with us, seeking a church. May I just tell you, you have not come to a Christian comedy club. It is not our desire in any manner to entertain you so that you leave here and say, man, that was just like going to the movie theater. It was fun. The fact of the matter is, is that we come to church to worship our God, to hear from Him through the preaching out of the Bible. And I want us to all recognize that there are some circles today they are practicing in churches called holy laughter. And people come and they just laugh for an hour. And there's people that come and just want to be entertained. And the entertainment portion is longer than the preaching uh, 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 portion. The Bible still says it's through the foolishness of preaching that lives are changed. And when we look at the world through Jesus' eyes, may I just tell you, if I'm, if I'm trying... To look at this world, how Jesus saw the world, there's very little to laugh about. The Bible says we ought to mourn. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 17, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. However, the, we have a, uh, how, however, the joy that we have is, is based simply on our relationship in Christ, not the, the revelry of this fallen world, not all that this world has to offer. And too many Christians are so caught up in the world that they laugh over what makes Christ grieve. What you laugh at really reveals what's going on in your spiritual life. And I wonder this morning... What you laugh at and what do you see as funny in this world? There's no record in all of Scripture of Jesus laughing. 
And I'm sure that there had to be some joyous times. And I, 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 can, I can see that, that when he saw Zacchaeus, that wee little man, climb up in a tree, that he had, probably had a smile on his face and said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm, uh, 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 I mean, how many of you climb up in a tree to see someone? That had to have been a little humorous. I'm sure there were some humorous uh, uh, times in Jesus' life, um, uh, especially when he was asleep in the bow of the boat. And he's not going to die. He's God. But the disciples thought that they were going to uh, die. And so they wake up Jesus and say, wake up. Do you not even care that we're going to perish? But Jesus had to have smiled at those guys and said, hey, watch this, guys. Peace, be still. Sea of Galilee was like a mirror of glass. I'm sure there were times that were joyous with the disciples, but in all of Scripture, it never says that he laughed. But what it does is repeatedly say that he was sorrowful over the sin of the world. Do you mourn over the sin in your life? Do you mourn over the sin of this world? Let me tell you the results of mourning this morning. The results of mourning. When we mourn over sin, Jesus promises that we will be comforted. That same word translated here as help or comforter describes that of the work of the Holy Spirit in John 14 and verse 26. Jesus, he mourns over sin. And thus, when we mourn over sin, we draw uh, uh, very near to him. And the Bible says that when I draw near to him, I receive comfort. If you're in a state of depression, you're in a state of mourning, you know what the solution is? Uh, is this, get close to God. Get close to God and, um, and uh, experience what will happen when you get close to Him. If you want to see revival in this church, you want to see people led to Christ, you want to see lives changed, then we need to mourn over the things that God mourns over. And I'm so thankful for the promise here. The Bible says this, we shall be comforted. Revelation chapter 21 gives us a great verse. This is future tense. It's coming. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, and there shall be no more sorrow. There shall be no more crime. There shall be no more pain. For the former things are passed away. That day's coming, and we're going to rejoice. But for today, the mourning and the sorrow and the pain and the anguish is still there. And God shall comfort us one day in heaven, for he comforts us here and now, though, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you know not Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you cannot understand this message apart from the Holy Spirit of God changing your life and uh, giving you a new life. Jesus said this, Come unto me, all ye that labor, all ye that are heavy laden. And he says this, I will give you rest. I will give you relief. I will give you comfort. First Peter 5 and verse says this, uh, 5 and verse 7 says this, that we're to cast all our care upon him. Why is that? Because he cares for you. You're going through a difficult time this morning. You're sorrowful. You're mourning. Uh, if you're mourning over the things that Jesus mourns over, he promises comfort. Well, how do I attain it? The attainment of mourning. I, uh, Pastor, I'm there. I, I'm mourning. I'm, I, I, I feel what you're talking about today. But how in the world do I attain this? Let me share with you the attainment of mourning. We must, first of all, put aside those hindrances 
to being comforted. One of the reasons believers do not mourn over sin is because of the sin that's in their own lives. Hebrews 12 compels us to lay aside every weight, lay aside the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So I want you to notice this morning some hindrances of why we do not attain mourning. Well, first of all, we have a love of sin. Frankly speaking, the reason we do not receive comfort in our mourning is because we have a love of sin. Let's just admit it this morning. Sin can be fun. It is hard to mourn over something that you enjoy that God calls sin. It's quiet all of a sudden, real quick here in the auditorium. The fact of the matter is we have to ask God to break our hearts and to show us where we really are in our life and what sin is and we cannot love sin well there's also despair many people fall in depression and they feel that God and everyone else has given up on them and it shows a lack of trust remember I want to I want you to attain mourning this morning with the blessed promise that God says you will be comforted and if you're in a state of despair because you're far away from God you will not receive that comfort this morning there's also conceit This is trying to hide our sin by, hey, let's just pretend it's not really there. Some people do not like to go to their doctor because of what the doctor might tell them they need to do. And some people do not go to church for the same reason. They're afraid the preacher might tell them things that are going on in their lives. Oh, there's legalism. Legalism is this. It means that I I don't want to just keep a certain set of rules and traditions. Um, uh, and, And but if I do keep those rules and traditions, you know what? I'm going to be okay. Um, Jesus taught that sin comes from the inside, not keeping and maintaining rules on the outside. And then there's procrastination. Do you know that there are people seated here, right here this morning? Your idea of serving God is this. Well, one of those days. One of those days I'll get around to it. You know, one of those days I'm going to completely sell out to God and will give my life to God. May I just say that's risky and that's foolish. Hebrews 3 warns us, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of us be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. This is an amazing verse here. Lest any of you be hardened Through the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know what happens? Sin will cause you to get a callous. And when you get a callous, you begin to no longer feel the effect of the pain. And when you have a callous, what happens is sin will deceive you. If you're lost this morning, the Bible says this, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is the day to get saved. Don't procrastinate and put it off. Well, how do I attain this comfort that comes from mourning? First of all, we must study Scripture. We must study Scripture. The Word of God is powerful in pointing out sin. God showed some of the most powerful, some of the most spiritual of men, uh, the sin that was in their lives. Isaiah said this, Woe is me, for I am undone. Why? Because I am a man of unclean lips. Peter said, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. Paul considered himself and even wrote that I'm the chiefest of sinners. James, he describes a man studying scripture like a man looking in the mirror. And in verse 22 he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The Bible will show you how to deal with sin. 
The Bible will show you how you can overcome sin. The Bible reveals sin in your life. Folks, if we really are serious about living a victorious Christian life, we must get serious about the sin that's in our life. We must devote ourselves to prayer. If you've not accepted Christ as your Savior this morning, the only prayer God wants to hear from you is the prayer of salvation. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I acknowledge I am a sinner. The Christian who prays consistently is a person who's aware of his own sin. And God will reveal our sin as I spend time in prayer with him. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Hey, Brent, remember this? Oh, Lord, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me of that? And I continue to pray, Lord, uh, I, I, I'm so sorry about that area, and I'm sorry about this. And so as I spend time in prayer, I and come face to face with the sin that's in my life. Well, we've discovered the meaning and the result and the attainment, but what, uh, what's the final discovery this morning? The test of mourning. The test of mourning. Will I ever truly be blessed as Jesus taught his disciples? Well, let me ask you two questions to determine the answer this morning, test number one, here's the question. Am I sensitive about sin? Am I? And you can ask that question to yourself. Am I sensitive about sin? We should be sensitive to our own sin. When you commit sin, it should be like the idiot light in your car, that warning or that red light that's blinking, and it says, stop, get right with God, stop, get right with God. We should be sensitive to the sins of fellow believers. It should break our hearts to see sin in other people's lives. And we should cry with the psalmist, uh, Rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. We should be sensitive to the sin of the lost world. We ought to grieve for our lost friends and our lost family and our neighbors and our co-workers. And not, it really should break our hearts that they are lost and they're going to go to hell for their sin. So I ask you, are you sensitive about sin? Is there anything in your life that you feel like, I can sin and just get away with it and there's no consequence to it and ah, I can hide that part? Am I sensitive to sin? Here's test number two. Am I sensitive to God's forgiveness? Am I sensitive to God's forgiveness? Would you characterize your relationship uh, uh, to God as liberating and full of peace? Has God truly made you glad? I hope so. Have you ever experienced the personal and freeing forgiveness of God? On the other hand, do you find yourself praying only when necessary? Do you find yourself only reading Scripture when you're in trouble? You need something. You want to call on your butler, your genie in the bottle, and say, Hey, come and fix this. Or do you ever need to be mourning over your sin because you understand that God will forgive me of my sin. And if I'm to be blessed and comforted, I must come face to face with my sin. There's an interesting passage of Scripture in Psalm 126. God says to us, They that sow in tears shall reap in what? Joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again, rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And let us weep now, for as Psalm 30 and verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You can put up your notes and close your Bibles and get ready to go so that way you can listen to the final illustration. My father 
when he passed away, his body was riddled with cancer. He had had surgery to remove what they thought was a tumorous, uh, they, they removed the tumor that was in his abdomen, and they thought that they had got all of the cancer. And this cancer quickly came back, and from the from the date of diagnosis to his death was just right at six months, and my dad was perfectly healthy before that. Cancer is a dreaded disease. Cancer destroys. And some here, you've experienced cancer, and some of you, like uh, Jill Defoe, is going through cancer treatments right now, and she's having a round of, of something that's designed to kill the body called chemotherapy. It's an ugly medicine, and it's designed to kill the, all of the cells, uh, the cancer cells, but in the process of killing all those cancer cells, it makes the body weak. You know the Bible says that cancer is like sin. I watched my dad be a completely healthy man six months later, stood by his bedside as he took his final breath. And he slipped into eternity. I'm so thankful that I know, that I know, that I know he's in heaven today. What a great testimony he had as a Christian. But sin took his physical life. Oh, don't miss this. Sin, uh, uh, excuse me, cancer took his physical life. And cancer is often represented by sin. But for the Christian, and even for the unsaved, sin is like a cancer that takes our life. Oh, sin is like a cancer for the, for the unsaved that eats away their life until finally they have no need, no desire to have God, and they slip into a Christless eternity and forever will spend eternity in hell. There's probably few of those people here today. The vast majority of those that are here today are Christians. Please understand this. The Bible says that sin begins... And when it's not dealt with, it grows. And when it has grown to its fullest, the Bible says this, it bringeth forth death. The reality is, is that there are some of us that need to take care of some sin in our life today. And we need to ask God, come face to face, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who come face to face with the sin sickness of this world. And the God of heaven will bring about healing and forgiveness and comfort. There are some that are in a bad, bad cycle. You're in a bad place this morning. And you've come to church and, and probably just going through the motions. May I just tell you the God of heaven wants to heal your emotions and your body and your mental awareness. But most importantly, He wants to heal you spiritually. And if you will allow the God of heaven, He will forgive you of your sins. What's going on in your life? Am I sensitive to sin? Or do I have a callous? I don't even feel the sting. I don't even feel anything about sin anymore. I've just become so callous and hardened to sin.